Welcome to everyone who is in worship this morning, whether you're here in person or whether you're joining us via Zoom. We're really glad that you are here and have chosen to worship with us today. I'm going to begin our service by lighting the Christ candle. With the lighting of the Christ candle, every time that we do this, we remember Jesus' promise in the, math, in the Gospel of Matthew that where two or three are gathered together in my name, he says, I am there among you. Now, as we prepare our hearts and minds for worship, I would invite you to use the words that are in your bulletin as a centering prayer to help to guide you into this time and space as we all listen to the prelude. Let us rise in body or remain upright in spirit as we join together in our call of worship. Come, walk in the light of faith. We will walk humbly with our God. Come, love in the light of faith. Come, sing in the light of faith. We will sing praise to our God. Come, Live in the light of faith. We will live as faithful followers of Christ. Will you please join me in prayer? Help us to walk by faith, O God, not by sight. Be our vision, Holy One, for without 
visioned your people perish. Remind us that you do not see us as mortals see, for you do not judge by outward appearances, but look on the heart. With our eyes of faith enlightened, help us to see your kingdom as a tiny mustard seed and marvel at the growth you offer to all through the power of your spirit. Amen. Amen. Yes. <laughs> oh, I was so wrapped up in singing. And I'm so sorry. So was I. My so eyes were closed, and
She did a fantastic job. I was so wrapped up in being able to sing, I forgot our little cue. <laughs> Please join me in the call to confession. And then we will experience the prayer of confession. Sin destroys our lives. Sin destroys our relationships. Sin destroys our hope. But through faith in the saving death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, our lives, our relationships, and our future are no longer enslaved to sin. Let us trust the love of God and confess our sin that we might receive grace and find true freedom. Please join me in prayer. When death comes, we yearn for your grace and the healing offer in the midst of our grief. When tragedy strikes, we long for your mercy and the blessed assurance you offer in the midst of our suffering. When trouble threatens, we look for your shelter and the confidence you offer in the midst of our confusion and doubt. Renew our trust in your resurrection and revive our hope in new beginnings. As prophets and teachers who have gone before us, help us focus on life, listen to your voice, and follow where you lead. In your holy name we pray. Amen. As we allow God to shape the desires of our hearts, we live and move in concert with God's plans. Rejoice that in Christ we have become a new creation and agents to bring forth the reign of God. the passing of God's peace to you all. When we see the eyes of God, we perceive that each person here is a new creation, planted by God and rooted in peace. And as we share the signs of peace and love, take time to really look at one another and rejoice in the new life all around us. The peace of Christ be with you. And also with you. Peace be with you all. At this time, I would like to invite the children in the congregation to come forward. We haven't done this in a while. Come on forward. Good morning. It is so good to see you. And it is so good to have you up front. It feels like we're getting back to normal, doesn't it? A little bit. A little bit. We're getting there. We're getting there. So are you ever afraid? 
Do you ever get afraid? Sometimes, you know? Do you ever worry? Do you ever worry? No, you don't? All right. <laughs> Can I share some of my worries with you? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> what are some of the things that you might be afraid of or worry about? What do you think? Something that has a scary face? Yeah, yeah. A mummy coming out of its tomb. That would be scary. That would be scary. <laughs> Sometimes when it's really dark, I kind of get a little anxious. Like, I don't know where anything is. Have you ever been in a room that's so dark you can't even see your hand in front of your face? Yeah, yeah that's really dark right? Well, this morning I want to tell you a story about a woman named Sivilla Martin. And she wrote a song about overcoming fear, worry, and discouragement. So Mrs. Martin and her husband were visiting a couple named Mr. and Mrs. Doolittle, who lived in Elmira, New York. Now, Mr. Doolittle had to use a wheelchair to be able to get around and Mrs. Doolittle had been confined to her bed for over 20 years. She couldn't get out of bed on her own. 20 years. But despite the challenges they faced in life, they always seemed to have a cheerful outlook. Mrs. Martin asked Mrs. Doolittle, how do you manage to remain so joyful when you face so many problems? Mrs. Doolittle's reply was simple. If God has his eye on the sparrow, then I know he is watching over me. You know what a sparrow is? It's a kind of bird. It's a very common bird. There are lots of sparrows all over the place. So Mrs. Martin was so touched by Mrs. Doolittle's reply that she wrote a poem that was to become the basis for a song that has brought peace and comfort for over a hundred years. Why should I feel discouraged? Why should the shadows come? Why should my heart feel lonely and long for heaven and home? When Jesus is my portion, a constant friend is he. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches over me. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. Well, the next day, Sivilla Martin mailed the poem to Charles Gabriel, who was a gospel songwriter, and he wrote a tune for it. And the rest, as they say, is history. Well, our Bible lesson today tells us the truth of this message. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus was teaching his disciples that even though they were going to be facing some difficult times as his followers, they didn't need to be afraid. He said to them, two sparrows are sold for one copper coin, but not one single sparrow can fall to the ground without God knowing it. 
So don't be afraid. You are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. Isn't that amazing? That God knows everything that we go through? Nothing that happens to us escapes God's notice. So when we feel lonely or discouraged or afraid, God knows and God cares always. Will you pray with me? Let's pray. God, we know that your eye is on the sparrow and we know that you are watching over us. We thank you for your love and your care of us each and every day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for coming up. It's really good to see you. You can go back. Please listen to these words as we prepare our hearts to be nurtured by the word of the Lord. The one who calls us to walk by deep faith, not by sight, is here to open our hearts that we may hear the word of God. The one who judges the heart not outward appearances, is present to guide our ears, that we may hear what is truly the word of God. Let us lift our hearts in prayer. God of redemption, summon us to Sarah's joy, Abraham's wonder, and Paul's confident hope that through the word and the work of the good shepherd, Jesus Christ our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen. Our, psal- our Psalter lesson this morning is taken from Psalm 92, verses 1 through 4, and picking up again 12 through 15. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night, to the music of the lute and the harp, to the melody of the lyre. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your works. At the works of your hands I sing for joy. The righteous flurry like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord, They flourish in the courts of our God. In old age, they still produce fruit. They are always green and full of sap, showing that the Lord is upright. The Lord is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in our God. The word of the Lord. Our gospel lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 10, verses 24 through 39. Listen for the word of God. 
A disciple is not above the teacher, nor a slave above the master. It is enough for the disciple to be like the teacher and the slave like the master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered up that will be uncovered, and nothing secret that will not become known. What I say to you in the dark, tell in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim from the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. And even the hairs of your head are all counted. So do not be afraid. You are of more value than many sparrows. Everyone, therefore, who acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before others, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and one's foes will be members of one's own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever does not take up the cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Those who find their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. A word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. What are you afraid of? 
What makes your blood run cold at the mere mention of it? Makes you freeze in your tracks. Heights do it for me. This past summer, our family was lucky enough to be able to take a trip to Seattle. In the midst of COVID lockdowns, our options were rather limited, and our trip to Disney got canceled, but we were left with airline tickets we had to use. We have some friends out in the Pacific Northwest, so we decided to make a trip and give ourselves a good vacation. We needed it. We were there over my birthday, and one of the things I really wanted to do was visit Mount Rainier. So early that morning, we loaded into the rental car and made the trip. Now, if you've never been to Seattle, Mount Rainier is visible from many places in Seattle, and it loomed larger and larger and larger as we approached it. Now, I had prepared myself for the drive up the mountain ahead of time, but as we got higher and higher, and the sheer drop-offs got closer and closer to the side of the road, my hands gripped the steering wheel tighter and tighter, my knuckles getting whiter and whiter. Now that last turn before getting to the main lodge and the visitor center had a parking area with a lookout. I quickly turned in and parked, exiting the car and alarming Elena only a little bit. Put my head between my knees and I steadied my breathing. And after walking around for a couple of minutes under the guise of a stretch break for the kids, we got back in the car and drove the last gut wrenching stretch. Fear. Whether it is of snakes or the Grim Reaper, There is no more pervasive or powerful force in human experience. From the moment we are born, we learn to fear the world around us. Certainly to fear the stranger, sometimes to fear even those who are closest to us. Political leaders have long recognized the power of fear in ensuring our conformity to the structures of this world even when doing so does not serve our best interests. Fear is the driving force behind vast segments of our economy. You don't want to get old. Here's a cream that can solve that. As well as, increasingly, our political priorities. Fear is one thing we have had no shortage of in our nation and our world over the past year and a half. My palms still get a little clammy when I think about the day that everything shut down and waiting for a grocery pickup order that never came with Atticus in the back seat asking when we would be able to have dinner. It is present in him as still as we walk down the street unmasked, and if we pass a stranger, he covers his mouth with his arm. It was palpable in the tears of my daughter following the public murder of George Floyd in Minneapolis, 
fear of whether or not her skin color would mark her as a target. From violence around the election to the faltering economy, from mask mandates to marches, from pandemic to protest, we have been living and feeling and breathing fear. It's also something the disciples knew intimately. Living in ancient Palestine, occupied by the Roman Empire, there were constant reminders all around them that they ought to be afraid. Brutal executions like Jesus were public events to deter political troublemakers. Now, while our text this morning doesn't have a specific instance of the disciples articulating or displaying their fear, they must have been exhibiting some of the symptoms, or at least looking a bit nervous as Jesus prepares to send them out because he takes some time to speak directly to their fear. Associate Professor of New Testament at Columbia Theological Seminary, Stanley Saunders, writes, Jesus recognizes that fear will cause the failure of discipleship. Jesus' disciples courageously leave the security of their homes and families to follow him as they proclaim the advent of God's reign. But they too will know and ultimately bow before the power of fear. Faithful proclamation and practice of the gospel inevitably puts disciples on a collision course with the powers of this world. So as Jesus prepares his disciples for their mission, he is starkly realistic about the threats they will face. But at the same time, he builds the case for why they shouldn't let this fear master them or hinder their witness. It does seem like a strange way to recruit volunteers, however. I mean, the disciples are granted amazing powers to heal, exercise demons, cleanse lepers, raise the dead. But he also denies them money, pay, extra clothes, a staff for protection, even sandals. They are to undertake their mission in complete vulnerability and dependence on God. Even knowing that they go as sheep in the midst of wolves. That they face arrests and beatings, opposition even from family members, and hatred and persecution. Do not fear. Do not be afraid. These are common refrains in the Gospels. In the nativity stories, the first words the angels say to Mary, Joseph, and the shepherds are, do not be afraid. When approached by Jairus, a desperate father whose daughter is moments from death, Jesus looks at him and says, do not be afraid. It's a refrain Jesus repeats three times in this scripture lesson alone. Now, the threat of death may be the most powerful form of fear. Jesus' next expression of reassurance addresses this fear directly. 
yet with irony. The right to kill is one of the chief props in the facade of human political power. Jesus admits that humans exercise this power, but notes that they have power only to kill the body, not the whole person. God alone can destroy both soul and body. God alone, therefore, is the one we should fear. Violence and death, while still very real concerns, are no longer the determining force in the lives of these disciples because God is the one in total control. The one who has the ultimate power over our whole being and God exercises that power with mercy and love. Now the last part of this text might be where we run into the most difficulty. Up until verse 34, Jesus' words are comforting, calling us to be bold and and firm. But then Jesus says, I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. Now this isn't what we expect from the one who teaches us to turn the other cheek, to love our enemies. And if we take that verse out of context, as many have, we might find an entirely different Jesus than the one that we know and follow. As he is encouraging his disciples to remain firm in their commitment to him and to the mission of the kingdom of God, he wants to be sure we understand that this mission will inevitably generate conflicts even within families. Although Jesus has called us to be peacemakers, his mission does not bring peace but a sword so long as the powers resist God's rule and will. The very act of peacemaking, as Jesus' ministry demonstrates, generates violence. Because healing and restoration and the conquest of death threaten the foundations of all human assertions of power in defiance of God. The world denies and rejects all efforts to overturn systems of death. We have witnessed this firsthand in the protests that gripped our country last spring and summer and continue on. Our country has a long, complicated, and tragic history when it comes to the story of race. And it is a struggle that is not just relegated to the history books. It is a very present danger to the very justice of God that we seek after. It is, to borrow the phrase from Jim Wallace, America's original sin. Now, the Matthew 25 initiative, which we are beginning to examine in our congregation, has a three-part emphasis. Systemic poverty, which we focused on last week, structural racism, and congregational vitality, which we will begin to look at next week. The struggle against racism is one that is fraught with danger. Those who have fought against the systems of oppression have known intimately the kinds of danger Jesus spoke about. 
History tells us of prophets and martyrs who accepted this cost of discipleship and took up their cross to follow Christ. For people of privilege, and that includes all of us gathered here this morning, this may mean disrupting family systems and building new communities. Now I want to speak briefly about privilege, particularly white privilege, because this can be a politically charged term in our current context, and it can be incredibly off-putting to meaningful discourse around these emotionally difficult topics. When I speak about white privilege, it is not to imply that we, who are white, have not had difficulties and struggles in our lives. Not at all. We have. Struggle is not something that is unique to one race or ethnic group. Some people have more times of struggle than others. That's true. White privilege, on the other hand, does not mean that your life has not been hard. It just means that the color of your skin isn't one of the things that makes it harder. For Jesus' disciples, taking up the cross implies identification with the marginal people, slaves and rebels, who were subject to brutal Roman crucifixion. Because they did not align themselves with or submit themselves to Rome's authority. Similarly, if we are going to follow Jesus, taking up the cross means aligning ourselves with people of color, listening to their stories, it means we got to stop talking, honoring their experiences, and confronting the systems that have benefited some at the expense of others. Now, this is a complex issue. And it's not one that can be adequately parsed out in one sermon. Not even in one conversation, not in one workshop, not in one day. It takes time. To commit to the critically important work of being anti-racist, we must be willing to lean into these hard conversations, even if they scare us even if we're afraid of them. I do look forward to talking more about this one-on-one, in small groups, and in sermons over the next few months, because there is a lot for all of us to learn. I'm right at the front of the class. I need to learn. If we are to answer fear in all of its many varieties, it's not just snakes or heights, we must do so clear-eyed, recognizing the futility of systems of human power, even those rooted in the threat of death, aware of the possibilities and the very likelihood of conflict and division that the gospel inevitably produces. And especially the deep awareness and conviction 
that God is present in the world in mercy and compassion. Because those two values paired with the love of Jesus will overcome every single time. Amen. Will you please stand with me as we affirm what we believe? We trust in Jesus Christ, fully human, fully God. Jesus proclaimed the reign of God, preaching good news to the poor and release to the captives. We trust in God, whom Jesus called Abba, Father. In sovereign love, God created the world good and makes everyone equally in God's image to live as one community. We trust in God, the Holy Spirit, everywhere, the giver and the renewer of life. The Spirit justifies us by grace through faith and binds us together with all believers in the one body of Christ, the church. With believers in every time and place, we rejoice that nothing in life or in death can separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. At this time, I'd like to invite Lindsay to come forward for our minute for mission. Good morning. As part of our year-long program focused on hunger, we're concentrating on the regional food bank for the month of June. And today I'm going to speak for just a minute about a really important service provided by the food bank called the Backpack Program. Many of you may already be familiar with the program, but for those of you who aren't, the, sure, sure. For those of you who aren't familiar with the program, I'll just give you a quick description. Um, it helps alleviate child hunger by providing hungry children with backpacks full of nutritious and easy-to-prepare food on Friday afternoons so they have enough to eat throughout the weekend. Many of the kids who participate in the program also receive free and reduced lunches and breakfasts at school, but over the weekend they don't have access to those regular meals. So this is how the program works. School staff help identify students who could benefit from the program. And they identify them based on their interactions. Maybe they're hearing, you know, on Monday mornings that they, the kids didn't have enough to eat over the weekend. Or they're picking up on cues. The school staff then contacts the food bank, gives them some information, and signs the kids up for the program. Then... The food bank creates weekly menus for each school, and those menus vary, so participating students can enjoy a variety of different foods, including fresh fruit, which the kids love. We're not sure about how much they love the vegetables, but the fruit, we're sure. <laughs> the schools and the food bank staff then coordinate to schedule the pickups 
and then they distribute this, the food to the students discreetly in the backpack before they leave home on Friday afternoons. Um, each backpack contains the following. Two breakfast items, so cereal or oatmeal packets, then three entrees. They're going to be easy to make, so maybe a mac and cheese, uh, SpaghettiOs, tuna fish. They get a loaf of bread. They get the fresh fruit, some canned vegetables. They'll get a card that they can take to get milk and another for eggs at a participating store. And then they'll have some snacks, popcorn, pudding, things like that. As of now, the program serves nearly 7,000 children each week in 250 schools across 22 counties in northeastern New York. Research has shown that the backpack program helps improve attendance and academic performance, and it reduces disciplinary actions for those participating students. If you'd like to support this important program, you can make a donation to the food bank and ask that the funds be allocated to the backpack program. Every little bit helps because it only takes $180 to support one student in the program for the entire school year. You can learn more about the program by going to the regional food bank website. Thank you. Thank you, Lindsay, for sharing that. As we prepare to receive the morning offering, just take a moment to think about what Lindsay's just shared. Christ knows every breath that we take. He knows our needs. Each breath that we take is a gift from the Holy Spirit. God watches over, protects, and provides for us. So let us present our offerings of thanksgiving for the goodness of of the triune God. Let us pray. Bountiful God, your kingdom is like seed that is scattered on the ground. How it grows, we know not, but there is abundance in the harvest. Your kingdom is like a tiny mustard seed that grows into a shrub where the birds of the air build their nests. May the gifts we bring before you this day bear the fruit of your kingdom where all may be fed and all may be blessed. Amen. Friends, let us turn to God in prayer. God of all times, places, and peoples. We came today so full of concerns, confessions, hopes, 
dreams and questions. We came here because the world is full of voices and distractions that would take our eyes off of you and off of your will for us. We came seeking that which is worthy of our trust. We came because you promise us the sufficiency of faith, hope, and love. You are a God who hears all prayers and who is working out your will in ways we cannot always see. You are also a God who invites our prayers and petitions, for that is how we are called to be with you. So we lift up the prayers you already know are on our hearts. We lift up those that have been named out loud and in our hearts. The concerns you know that keep us up at night, the worries and anxieties that ground us in our need for you. We pray for a wayward world that loves violence and abides in equality that breaks your heart. For a nation in sore need of healing, for mercy and empathy for the one we do not understand, for those in our congregation and families who wait for news of a diagnosis, who are living with health challenges, who care for the sick and the dying. May they feel your spirit surround, embrace, and encourage them. Triune God, as we prepare to go out from this place, teach and sustain us as your children and servants, that we may bear witness to your unexpected choices and your wondrous and mysterious means of working in ways that we might never imagine. For we pray all this in the name of the one who came to show us your love, Christ Jesus, who taught us to pray saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever.
Beloved, the God who was and is and is to come is with us in Christ Jesus. The blessing of the triune God be with you all. Alleluia. And the Jesus who says, remember, I am with you always to the end of the age goes with you, reminding you who you are and whose you are. Amen.